I'm thankful that God has a will and God has a purpose. He said, for I know the thoughts that I have for you. I know the plans that I have for you, good and not for evil, right? How many of you know that God has a good plan? Amen. God has a good desire for you. And um, the enemy cannot stop that plan. I said the devil cannot stop that plan. Amen. But we can. We can thwart that plan. And we want to make sure that our agendas and our plans align with his, align with his uh, heart of submission, a heart of surrender, a heart of sacrifice. Hallelujah. We have been diving into the subject of transformation. We believe that the gospel did not come just to get us somewhere, but to help us bring somewhere to here. Amen. I need I need my people to shout a little bit better than that. Some of you have heard this plenty enough now. You know how to respond to this word. God did not bring us into his kingdom so that one day when we die, we can look forward to being somewhere. Thank God we have that. Thank God when I die, I know where I'm going. Thank God if I'm absent from this body, I know that I'm present with the Lord. Amen. If you don't have... Uh, if you don't know that today, we can make that happen. We can make that possible because you know, you need to know with an assurance, a surety on the inside. I know where I'm going if I depart from this earth. But while I'm in the earth, I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, infect change around me. I'm going to be a catalyst for the kingdom of God. I'm a kingdom carrier. I'm a kingdom carrier. And so we, we, we've got to recognize that I cannot accomplish God's purpose on my agenda. I I cannot accomplish what God wants to do in me and what God wants to do through me and what God wants to do for everyone that I come into contact with my way. And so when we come into the kingdom and we make Jesus the Lord of our life, not just Savior, right? You got to make Jesus the Lord. Savior is what he did, but Lord is who he is. And I'm not here to just accept what Jesus did for me, but I want to accept who he is to me. And he's my Lord. That means he owns me. That means he calls the shots. He's the manager. He's in control. And so now I do what the Lord tells me to do. And now my life is being governed and being dictated by a word that is working to transform my life. We've been talking about transformation. Why is transformation so necessary? Because we recognize that the gospel did not come to cater to me. It came to change me. And a word that caters to me does not change me. Did you hear me? I said a word that caters to me does not change me. If, if I am reading this word trying to get it to align with my life and trying to get it to align with what I believe or what I accept, then I will not be changed. I will not be transformed. And this is what I believe is the greatest power of the gospel is its ability to transform a life. You all know that. You've seen it. You've seen it in yourself. You've seen it in your loved ones. You've seen it in, and you have seen this gospel get into people that were mean and they became nice. Can you believe it? They're full of hate. Now all of a sudden they're full of love. You've seen this gospel get into people's minds and they were at, at, at wit's end and anxious and worried and concerned and watching the news and all this stuff was going through them. And now all of a sudden they're full of peace. Only the gospel can do that. Only God's word can do that. 
It has the ability to transform our lives. So transformation is necessary. We, we read this quote, and since it looks like half the room wasn't here last week, this quote says, Our error today is that we do not expect a converted man to be a transformed man. Our error today is that we do not expect a conversion to produce transformation. Thank God for conversion. Thank God we can come out of darkness into light. But now when we come in, now he expects us to be transformed into his his son. To become the image of his son, he says. The fullness of him. That's over in Colossians. Our error today is that we do not expect a converted man to be a transforming. And as a result of this error, our churches are full of substandard Christians. I know he's not talking about this church. We are not substandard. We are not subpar. We are not just trying to break the service. We are not just trying to to meet a level. We're trying to exceed expectation. I didn't come into the kingdom to hold on a little bit of myself and then try to get a hold of what Jesus has. I came to abandon all, to let go of all of it. You know, when you come into the kingdom, there's all kinds of things that you can think of that you hate. It's like, God, take this from me. I don't want this anymore. But then he'll start meddling with stuff that you like. Then he'll start going after Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that we are supposed to lay aside all sins and weights. Sins are clearly defined by the word, but weights is where God begins to work on you. And God begins to say, you can't do that anymore. And you can't look like that anymore. And you can't live like that anymore. Lay aside all sins and weights. Why? Because there's a goal. I'm running to obtain a prize for this thing, man. And Paul said, if you run, run like you're trying to get somewhere. Not dragging along. But we're, we're showing intention. And we're contending for the faith, Paul said. We need to contend for the faith. A revival is, among other things, a return to the belief that real faith invariably produces holiness of heart and righteousness of life. A revival is, among other things, a return to the belief that real faith produces holiness and righteousness. What I believe should change who I am. It's ultimately what we're, what we're talking about. What I believe and what I've accepted on the inside should be produced on the outside. It should be revealed in my life and in my character and in my attitude and how I talk and the things that I put in my body and the things that I let slip out of my body and the, even the environments that I keep and the friends that I keep and the relationships that I keep. All of that should be, begin to be meddled with and should be changed by the gospel. Now, we're not speaking this and, and, and ministering this in a legalistic avenue because here's what legalism does. Here's what religion does. Religion says you have to change all this stuff so that God will love you. But what his word says and what the gospel says is God loves you. So now we get to live different. You get to do these things. You don't have to. You get to. You get to. 
You get to live the kingdom life. now. You get to live set free from unforgiveness and resentment and bitterness in your heart. And that stuff just traps you and it becomes a bondage to you. And you don't even know that, that your unforgiveness towards the individual, you are creating your own uh, prison to live in. You're building it up cylinder by cylinder and, and, and you're putting block upon block and you're trapping yourself. But now in the kingdom, we can operate in forgiveness. I can love my enemies. That's one of those verses you wish wasn't in there. Because when he says love your enemies, that pretty much writes off anybody on this planet that you can walk in hatred towards. Love your enemies. Love those who despitefully use you. Rejoice when people mock you and when people despise you. And Rejoice, he says. How can I live contrary to what's around me? We spoke a few weeks ago about the culture. And we are culture creatures. We are here to create a culture, not fall in line with the culture. He said, be renewed. Be re- you, you, you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind, he says. I will be transformed in my life when I change my thinking, when I align my thinking with his word, when I align my, my thinking with his principles. And so when we come into the kingdom, we have to get rid of stinking thinking. That's the number one place that, the, that, that, that God will begin to work on you is in your mental capacity. Because if you can't change the way you think, you'll never change the way you live. But man, I want to I renew my mind. I'm not stuck in a, in, a, in a theology. I'm not stuck in a thought doctrine. I'm not stuck in a denomination. I, I, I'm not stuck in, in certain religious practices and rituals. I am renewing my mind daily. So why? I can transform my life. My life won't look any different until I start thinking different. We come into the kingdom and this transformation has to take place. Last week, what we're doing is just every week we're taking a look at values. Values that allow transformation to take place. I believe transformation is because you begin to value something over something else. And the last, last week we took, it to, took a look at the value of righteousness you know god still values righteousness he still values holiness in the believer and although the world wants to try to to pull away from that and the world wants to try to minimize the value for righteous living in a holy lifestyle the the word of god is the same yesterday today and forever you know the thing is is god still views sin the way he's always viewed it if he hated it then he hates it today he wants no part of it. He can't have any part of it. What, what, what agreement does darkness have with light? We saw that last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And so we have to have a value for righteousness. And we have to have a value for our new position in Christ Jesus. Old things have been passed away. Behold, all things become new. But now I've got to produce out of who God has made me be, uh, called me to be, Now I've got to produce a holy lifestyle. And that means there are going to be literal things in my life that I'm putting down. There are going to be literal things that I'm changing in my life. And and not just out of action and not just, well, I think this is what I'm supposed to do, but because I want to reflect the king and the kingdom. I didn't say this last week, but Paul said that we are ambassadors of Christ. Now, when you talk about an ambassador, you know, the United States has ambassadors all over the world. 
And those ambassadors go into other countries and other cultures that might even be contrary to the United States of America. Might do things opposite, might not do things the way we would do it. But that ambassador goes in and he doesn't go in with his agenda. And he doesn't go in with his, well, you know, here's what I think we should do around here, guys. No, he is speaking for the president of the United States and the, and the country which he represents. And he does not have the right to speak his opinion, to speak his idea. Well, if we're ambassadors of the kingdom, then I don't, I don't have a position on anything. But I can tell you what my country says. I can tell you what my king says. I can tell you what heaven says. I can tell you what the kingdom says about that. And so I, all I'm doing is I'm simply being a voice for my king. I'm an ambassador of Christ. And this is what Jesus says about it. This is what his word says about it. And I speak that. So righteous living is not, it's not me against you. It's me upholding principles that God has put in his word that will never change. And, and see, the, the enemy knows. The enemy knows that the power is in the word. The power is in the word that you keep. And your ability to remain righteous and your ability to live a holy life before your king empowers you to live the kingdom life. So the enemy's after that. And if he can create substandard Christians and subpar believers that don't hit the mark, I know that we'll, I know that we mess up. I know that there, but we also have a promise that forgiveness has already been given to us. Amen. He said he's faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins. But what we're looking for is progress. What, what, what are you running towards? Are you running away from the things that you know are holding you back? Are you, are you remaining in expecting God to just put up with and deal with those issues? Or are you saying, I'm ready to lay this down. And I, I'm going to be farther tomorrow than I am today. I may not have it all together, but tomorrow I'm going to be better. And I'm going to surround myself with people that are going to encourage me in that. I'm going to get myself out of environments that keep me detained and keep me restrained in things that cause me to sin and cause me to fail. I'm going to remove those things out of my way so I can be everything that God's called me to be. There's got to be a value for righteousness. Today, I want to talk about the value for God's word. Value for God's word. How can we expect to be transformed if we don't have a value for his word? And as I was going through this and preparing, and I kind of have an idea, you know, week to week where we're going to go. And it just seemed like every point that I'm wanting to hit, each of these values that I'm wanting to hit, hit, the world is slowly creating a devalue for. It, it, it's slowly interjecting righteousness is not that big of a deal. And God's word uh, you don't have to be in it as much. And it's not even so much, guys, that I don't believe we have. We go into it with the intention. But our day gets away. And before you know it, we haven't even spent time in his word. And days turns into weeks and weeks turn into months and months turn into into years. And, and this is something that we must have a constant dependency upon. A constant dependency upon it. We should value God's word the way we value eating a meal every day. It should be the same level. 
In John chapter 15, Jesus speaks and In John chapter 15 and verse 1, he says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, Jesus... John chapter 1 verse 1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then we skip on down to verse 14 in John chapter 1. You can just jot these down. John chapter 1 verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So when Jesus is saying, abide in me, ultimately what he is saying is, abide in my Word. Now that word abide wasn't just poured out of a hat. The word abide has a strong meaning. It means to live in. Abide is the opposite of visiting. I can visit your house, but I abide in my house. I live there. That's where I call that's what I call Home. And so he's saying, you are to abide in my word, live in my word. The connection, there should be a connection between us and God's word. And the more that I get in God's word, the more that God's word gets in me. Are you hearing me? So we won't be depleted. He says, every branch that bears fruit. Now that's interesting. Because I'm not here to just hang out with Jesus, apparently. I'm not here just to be attached to the word just for the sake of being attached to the word. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit. So then we can come up with this assumption that the goal is to produce fruit. The goal is to produce fruit. That I'm not just getting the word in me just so I can get full of the word. I'm getting the word in me so I can produce the word out of me. That's what calls, that sounds like transformation to me. My value for the word is what it can help me produce in my life. Now, he says that there are branches that don't produce fruit. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit. So that means just because I'm connected to the word and just because I'm in the word doesn't mean it's producing fruit in my life. But he says... If there are branches that aren't producing fruit, he cuts them off. He takes them away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. That it may bear more fruit. So we can take it a step further. The goal is not to just bear fruit. The goal is to bear more fruit. When do you know that you have uh, you, you produce all the fruit? You don't. You keep bearing more fruit. For the rest of your life, you're bearing more fruit for the kingdom of God. But what I'm, the fruit that I'm bearing, the fruit that I'm producing is determined by the root I'm connected to. The fruit that I'm producing is determined by the root I'm connected to. We cannot expect to produce fruit of the kingdom if we're not in the word of the kingdom, the word of the king. 
How can I expect to produce a, a lifestyle or how can I expect to produce the things that God has promised me in his word if I'm not even connected to the word? I've got to give attention to the root. I've got to give attention to the root. We can't just go swapping out fruit. There's something we've got to be connected to. You are already clean because of the what? The word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branch. And he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. We have bought into the lie that we can produce something outside of being connected to the word of God. We've bought into the lie that I don't have to have as great a value for this word. And I can still see things take place. You know that that Jesus said there will be those in the last days. And they'll come to me and say, Lord, Lord, I prophesied in your name. I I did signs and wonders. We cast out demons. We did all the things you told us. And he said, depart from me. Depart from me. Because I never knew you. I never was connected to you. We, We were not intimately together. We did not know each other. And therefore, what you were producing was on your own. Not with me. Your fruit was not from my root. I am the vine. You are the branches. And I in him bears, uh, he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch. And that, t- that pretty much tells me that, that God doesn't have time for people that aren't connected to him. He's casting them out. In essence, they're they're, they're useless. He's cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. That's, that's That's what Jesus says. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, watch this. You will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Our prayer life is connected to our value for God's word. Are we asking for things that we're not seeing the result because we're not rightfully connected to the word? He says, if you abide in me, there's a qualifier here. You ask, you'll have desires of me and I will produce them if, if, if you abide. There's a qualification to this. He's looking for people that are connected to him through his word. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. So you will be my disciples. The point of bearing fruit is not to glorify me. It's to glorify him. It brings glory to God when I bear fruit of the kingdom. It glorifies my father. When I am producing the fruit. Because I'm connected to the root. We, can, we cannot be disconnected from the root and expect to produce the right fruit. James chapter 1 verse 22. James chapter 1 verse 22 in the Amplified says it this way. But prove yourselves doers of the word. 
actively and continually obeying God's precepts. And not merely listeners who hear the word, but fail to internalize its meaning. There's a difference between hearing and listening. There's a difference between hearing and listening. There are those that just hear it. And then those, there are those that listen. Jesus said, may you have ears to hear and eyes to see. Could it be possible that we have eyes and ears, but we're not utilizing them? I need to use them. And not merely listeners who hear the word, but fail to internalize its meaning, deluding yourselves. You see the effect this has on us when we read the word, but don't have application connected to it. See, there are those that don't read the word. There's no connection to the word at all. And then there are those that just read it, but then there's no application of it. But God is saying, I need those that will read the word. And because they are connected to my word are now producing the fruit of my word. They're producing the fruit of the kingdom. I am seeing the word go in them, and I know what to expect. When you plant an orange seed, you know you can expect oranges. When you plant an apple seed, you know you can expect an apple tree. And if you don't get what you planted, you cut it down and you start over. You get rid of it. That's that's a waste of time. And if you plant an apple seed, you don't get oranges. Because Jesus later on goes to say, there's good fruit and there's bad fruit. But he's making this real simple. He says, prove yourselves doers of the word. Actively and continually obeying God's precepts. Don't just be listeners who hear the word but fail to internalize its meaning. Deluding yourselves by unsound reasoning contrary to the truth. I'm going to tell you something today. Salvation does not set you free. Truth sets you free. And they will know the truth. I know a lot of saved people that don't know the truth, and they're just as bound as the world is. When I come into the kingdom and I'm, I am saved, I'm born again, now I've got to recognize his truth because I can come out of Egypt and still remain in bondage in my mind. God brought those Israelites out of Egypt. Into the, world, into the wilderness, brought them to the promised land. They're on the edge of it. They're looking in. But because they couldn't get free in their minds, they could not be free in their lives. This is why I tell you, the battleground for your life is in your mind. It is in your mind. That's where the battleground is. And so I cannot just allow these words. I cannot just come to church and hear a sermon or hear a message. I've got to give myself the greatest opportunity to apply it, to live it. And there's things that, that, you know, I do when I have the opportunity to sit and hear the word. Not as much as it used to be, obviously. But when I hear the word... Being ministered, number one, I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm not falling asleep. I'm not leaning back. I'm not getting myself in a comfortable position so I can just kind of get comfy and cozy. I'm leaning in. And number two, I take notes because I don't trust myself. 
to sit here and get it all in one sitting. I take notes. Number three, I go back over those notes because what's the point of taking notes that I never go back and look at? I've got journals from years ago that I, that I continue to look back. And I'll take notes on top of notes. Why do I do that? Because I am demanding application in my life. I'm not just demanding that I come and hear a message and think that I've got something. I know that I've got to go further than that. That there are those that hear. And thank God that you're in a position to hear. But don't waste that opportunity. Preserve that opportunity. Give yourself the greatest opportunity to produce fruit from the root. Because just because I'm a branch connected to it, if I'm not producing it in my life, I'm not going to see it. I'm not going to see the word of God work for me. No, I want to have a value for the word of God that says I want to get it in me so that God can get it through me. I want to get it in me so that God can get it through me. Deluding. The the New King James says deceiving yourselves. How do you become deceived? You hear a word, but you don't put action to it. That's That's the quickest route to deception. And deceived people don't know that they're deceived because you're deceived. How do I, how do I combat deception in my life? I apply the truth that I hear. By unsound reasoning, contrary to the truth. For if anyone only listens to the word without obeying it, he is like a man who looks very carefully at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he immediately forgets what he looked like. You know, my prayer when I drive off of this parking lot is is not, I, I don't drive off of here and say, wow, what a great service, we were successful. The success of this moment and the success of what's happening right now will be determined tomorrow and Tuesday. Wednesday, and it will be determined, be determined by the word that you put into application in your marriage, and it will be determined by the word that you put into application with your children, and it will be determined by the word that you put in application tomorrow at work. And, 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 and it's easy to receive the word in this environment and to receive the truth in this environment and then get put in an environment that's contrary to what you just heard. That's where the real test comes. You know, the enemy wants to challenge the word of God. Did you know the enemy doesn't care how much you hear the word? He really doesn't. There are churches full all across this nation today. And he's not concerned with the people that hear the word. He gets concerned when people take it to heart and start living it out. That's where he starts getting threatened. It's just so interesting to me in Genesis chapter 3, when, when the, the serpent, when the snake tempts Eve, he tempts Eve and Adam with more knowledge. We covered this last year in our equip series, what it means to be an equipped believer, how to move from just being a believer, but to becoming a disciple. And the enemy said, if you eat the fruit of this tree, you will be more like God. Watch this. Knowing. He doesn't care how much you know. In fact, he wants you to know more as long as you never apply it. 
Because a believer that knows what to do and doesn't do it is worse off than an unbeliever that doesn't even know what to do in the first place. The thing uh, with, with the word of God is I now become responsible for what I've heard. I now become responsible for producing and, and living out that which the truth shows me. When I see it in the word, I need to now get it in my heart so I can produce it in my life. When I see it in the word, I need to get it in my heart so I can produce it in my life. The reason why we struggle with sin and the reason why we deal with the culture outside of the, of, of, of the kingdom of God and sometimes we feel so drawn into it is because we don't have enough word in us to combat it. When our military goes uh, overseas to fight a battle, they don't, they don't learn how to fight in the middle of the fight. They get trained over here. When my, when my dad went to Afghanistan back in 2003, he had to go to El Paso, Texas, I think it was, for like two, three weeks. I thought he was already overseas, and he called me, and it was a great connection, you know, because when you're talking to someone overseas, it's like you got to wait for them to stop talking and then give them a pause. And I was like, are you already over there? He's like, oh, no, I've been in El Paso for the last three weeks. What? We're fighting a war in El Paso? No, what's he doing? He's getting trained. You, you, you have to get the word in you before the test comes. Get the word in you before. Get the word in you before you go to work tomorrow. Get the word in you on the drive there. So that when you walk in and your boss is mean to you and all the, all the ugly people that are, that, are, are, that are at your job start doing what they do best, getting on your nerves and frustrated, you have something to respond from. Come on. Y'all don't get to go to work like I do. I know that. You've got to combat that. You've got to be proactive. And too many of us are responding to an attack of the enemy. Oh, I've got to get the word. I got to get, the sickness comes on our body. And all of a sudden, we'll start trying to. No, you need to know where the healing scriptures are before the sickness ever comes on your body. So you can whip that thing out and say, whoa, wait a minute. Last time I checked, the word is the sword of the spirit. You know, the sword of the spirit is the only offensive armor you have. Everything else is defensive, keeping the enemy from getting to me. Helmet of, of, uh, of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, feet shot. But then I've got a shield of faith and I have a sword of the spirit by which I can slice open everything the enemy tries to bring against me. It says the word of God will divide between soul and spirit. The word of God brings clarity, not confusion. He said, I'm, the author, I'm not the author of confusion. I bring understanding. Well, every time I read the word, I just get more confused. Then you've got to rely on the Holy Spirit, and we'll talk about him next week. You've got to have the Holy Spirit working with you. He's the one that brings illumination. He's the one that brings revelation. That's why some theologian or just some guy just reading this word, just trying to study something out, or even reading it to disprove something, will never get anything. But then when the Holy Spirit gets on the word, boom, now it's revealed to me. Now I see truth for what it is. Now it's clear as day. There's no confusion. I've got clarity. I've got understanding. That's why I preach, or that's why I pray before I preach, that the word will be ministered with boldness, not shying away. 
I'm sorry, guys, but it's what the Bible says. Just don't, don't, don't shoot the messenger. No, with boldness. This is what the word said. I had so many people this past week uh, texting me, uh, giving me uh, remarks saying, thank you for standing up and ministering that word last week. And, and, and thank you. Why? Because it's telling you you've got a pastor that cares about you. Anybody can say, hey, guys, you know, look, it's okay. But to get someone that's going to say, no, this is what the word says. There's a higher level of living for you. You can produce different results. You don't have to be bitter and angry. You don't have to walk in unforgiveness. You don't have to be hateful towards everybody. You don't have to be bound by sickness and disease. God has conquered all those things, and you've got to get in the word to discover it. So I pray that it will be ministered with boldness. But then I also pray that it will be ministered with clarity. Because the last thing I want is this. I had an instructor in Bible school. That we, I, I had a, a lab class where you actually had to get up and minister like an eight to ten minute message to your classmates when I was in Bible school. And, and he, would, he would stop so many of them while they were teaching. I got to go like towards the end, so I got to learn from all of them. <laughs> but he said, whoa, he said, whoa, 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 you can't do that. You're not ministering to Bible school students. You're ministering to the church. Don't minister to them like they know what you know. You've got to, you, you have to minister the word to where it can be. That's why Jesus was going around saying, uh, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like a dragnet because I'm talking to a bunch of fishermen. The kingdom of God is like a lost coin. The kingdom of God is like a treasure lost in a field. He's talking to, and he's bringing the kingdom down to where they're at. I'm not up here to prove to you everything that I know. And I'll tell you right now, I'm not that smart anyways. I'm here to get the word of God in you so it can produce the greatest results possible in your life. And there might be people that come and, well, that was, that was just too broken down, Pastor Mar. I, I, I need deeper. I need deeper. No, you don't need deeper. You don't, you don't need deeper. You haven't even gotten the first part. And who are we to think that we can go deeper when we haven't even applied what, what we already know? I want to be a steward of God's word. If he gives it to me, if he gives me $10 and I don't do anything with that, why should he give me 100 If he gives me love your neighbor as yourself and I don't apply love your neighbor as yourself, then why should I expect the other blessings in the word to start applying to my life and I'm not even living out the first thing I know? Amen. In Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. We've got to have a value for the word of God. I believe the greatest power the gospel has is its ability to transform a life. But I, I don't want to miss out on the power of God. In his word. I've got to value it. Acts chapter 20. Proclaiming it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house testifying to the Jews and also to Greeks repentance toward God and faith. Toward our Lord Jesus Christ and see now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy 
and the, did you know you could finish with joy? Did you know you don't have to finish with a frown on your face? You don't have to finish angry. You don't have to finish like you barely made it. He said, I can finish my race with joy, knowing chains and tribulations are ahead of me. Because even when I fall into a trial, I can still count it all joy. I can count it all joy. I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Watch this. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. One of the greatest lies and deceptions of the believer today is that we don't have to accept the whole counsel. I can pick and choose. He said, I did not keep from you the whole counsel. You know, there's things naturally that you can eat that taste good and that are satisfying. But then there's also maybe some things that we don't like that our body needs. And we need it all. And if we only go after the stuff that we like, and if we only go after the stuff that that, you can't live off of ice cream. Can't live off of Sour Patch Kids. Sorry to break it to you. I wish we could because that's my favorite little snack. I love those things. First they're sweet and then they're sour. First they're sour, then they're sweet. But you can't live. And you know what I found out is the more that you eat the stuff you shouldn't, you begin to, uh, you begin to acquire a distaste for the things you should. The more that I put things in my body that don't benefit me, the harder it's going to be to put things in that do. Now, I'm not saying there are things in the Word of God that, that don't benefit you. What I'm saying is there are some things that are a little easier to swallow, but then there are some things that when they're ministered and when they're preached, and this is what one minister told me when I first started preaching, he said, Anything you refuse to minister on in your church, you can expect your people to suffer in. If I refuse to minister on finances and how to how to tithe and how to give to the church and how to handle uh, money properly, appropriately, according to what God says, then I can expect our church to suffer in that area. If I don't want to talk to you about how you raise and parent your children, then I can expect us to suffer in that area. Because you cannot be uh, uh, equipped in an area that you do not have knowledge. Your authority in an area will never rise above your knowledge of that area. How am I going to expect you to operate in your marriage according to the word of God if I don't want to talk about it? So he says, I I didn't shun from bringing the whole gospel, all of it, whether you liked it or not. Later on, he tells Paul, preach the word. Preach the word in season and out of season. Now, you know, a lot of preachers like that passage in season. That means that means if, you, you know, the Holy Spirit will prompt you and he'll give you something right there on the spot. But what that really means 
is you will preach the word when it's favorable and when it's unfavorable. You will preach the word when they're responding to it and shouting you down and when they're sitting there blank stares on their faces. You're going to preach the word regardless of the response. I will not be held accountable for how you receive the word. I am held accountable for bringing you to the word. That's what I'm held accountable. And I'll let the chips fall where they may. That's how the word of God should be preached. That's how the gospel should go forth. That's how we break chains. That's how we loose minds. That's how we see sickness uh, eradicated. That's how we see anxiety go. It's because the word has the ability to transform that life. But it cannot transform an area that I'm unwilling to minister. Therefore, he's talking to these leaders, these elders. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know that after my departure, watch this, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. What are they going to do? Also from among you, men will rise up speaking perverse things. That means twisted things. That means they're going to take the gospel and they're going to twist it to draw away the disciples after themselves. How is this possible? We know multiple times that the word shows us that false uh, uh, teachers will rise, false ministers will rise. How is that possible? You can have because we're not in the word enough to combat the lie. If you don't know the truth, then you won't recognize the counterfeit. When I was uh, working outside the church, before I got into ministry, I, I worked at a bank for about seven years. And in training, they had to teach us how to recognize counterfeit bills. Well, what they did is they gave us, they made us so acquainted with real money that it became easy to find the counterfeit. You could feel it. You could look at it. You could see it. You knew this, there's something wrong. And they get better and better with that stuff. But when you know the truth, you will not accept the lie. And I'm telling you right now that the enemy will get lies into people and he will get them to accept it as truth. I want to surround myself with truth. I want to get the truth of the word of God so deep within me that there is not one lie the enemy could bring that I would ever accept. I would never accept that, the, that, the, that God uses sickness to teach me a lesson because I know, I know what the truth of the word of God says. I know that he took stripes on his back and he would not allow me to endure something that he so uh, 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 shamedly put on his son. I would never allow that in my body. There are things I would not allow the enemy to lie to me about because I know the truth. I can't become deceived. But he says that there will be those that will deceive. There will those that will come in to pull away from the flock. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is also able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. In Mark chapter 4. Last verse, worship team, if y'all would come. We need the whole word. We need all of it. Amen. In Mark chapter 4 and verse 24, it says this in the Amplified. 
Then he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. By your own standard of measurement, that is, to the extent that you study spiritual truth and apply godly wisdom. It will be measured to you. And you will be given even greater ability to respond and more will be given to you besides. What the measure that I give to the word determines the measure that will be produced back to me. The measure that I give to the word of God determines basically what he's saying. What you put in is what you get out. What you put in is what you get out. Can we be believers that put our time and invest the word of God? Can we be believers that give the word of God the highest value? Give the word of God the highest value, the greatest attention. And we are investing at the highest level so that we can see its results produced in our life. Can we do that? We need a church that will rise up and honor the word of God. We need a church that will rise up and say, I don't care what the enemy throws at me, and I don't care what the world accepts. I know what his truth says. I will stand on the sure foundation. This is what we need. We need a word that we will, that we will not be shaken off. We need a sure foundation that we will not be moved from. And that's what the word of God can do. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have given us your word. You have given us your word, Father. We thank you that there is liberty in your word. There is freedom in your word. There is deliverance in your word. But the word cannot set us free if we do not, if we do not accept it as truth. So, Father, today we make a decision wholeheartedly to accept and receive the word of God for what it is. We don't argue with it. We don't try to get our opinion or man's idea about it. But we go to the word for what it is. Father, we thank you that the word will liberate us and it will set us free. And we thank you that there is not one chain, not one bondage, not one lie that can stand in the face of the word of God. We give you glory and praise, Father, that we will bear fruit. This church will bear fruit of the kingdom of God. We will bear the fruit. Because we're connected to the root. We give you glory and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Our ushers are moving now. If you need an offering envelope, just raise your hand. Our ushers will get one to you. I will say this. Do I have power? Can you hear me out there? Check. One, two. You guys can stop. Hallelujah. Um. We have limited number of offering envelopes, so um, I went to order some. Yeah, we're running out of offering envelopes. Is that awesome? Is that a good problem to have? Amen. Uh, we ordered some, and there was an issue with the order. So if we run out, uh, you can give online. You can text your offering. You can text uh, 84321. Just text the amount uh, to that number. Um, you can also jump on our website. You can hit the Give button. You can give that way as well. Um, or you can always just drop um, a check in there as well. Uh, I want to say also that we have uh, almost $2,000 towards our chairs. So continue to please give 
towards that. We need about 4,500 more so that we can get brand new chairs for our new facility. Uh, we're so thankful about what God is doing, the growth that we're seeing. But this also means that, um, you know, that's we're already at like 50% capacity at the new building. So uh, we definitely need it. I mean, we're out of gray chairs, as you can see. And um, this is all we have that's in this room right now. So we need to get those chairs uh, three. You understand we only have two more services besides this one in this place. March 4th will be our first service at the new facility. So uh, God is moving. God is working. So please continue to sow towards that. Help us reach that goal so that we can accommodate all of the growth. Amen. Let's pray over our tithe and offering as we receive it. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you that we can give. We thank you that we can sow. We thank you that we can invest in the kingdom of God. Father, we thank you that a harvest comes back to us because we're putting a seed in good ground, Father. We thank you that it will produce. It will accomplish everything that you have called it to do, Father. I thank you for every obedient heart, every obedient life that is honoring your word today to sow and to give financially. And I thank you that you will bring back to them. You will meet every need. You know what need they have even before they ask, Father. We thank you that through this process we can see your prosperity, your provision come to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Um, Just want to let you know um, that we are firing on all cylinders. We are far behind schedule at the new facility. Um, So... uh, there's only so much we can do right now, but um, hopefully we'll get our plans submitted, get permits pulled so that we can begin a lot of the construction. But I will say this. If you know how to do drywall, good. I need a good job. I need an excellent. You know how to do. I, I have hands going up. Good. Like we won't see any tape. We won't see any. If you know how to hang drywall, it can help us with that. We have to get our two bathrooms renovated, and I have to do the drywall before the other gentleman can come in and do his job. So um, if you can, please let me know. You can touch base with me. Um, you can talk to me today. You can find me on Facebook or email our office. Please let me know. We need to get that hung as soon as possible. We will be up there just about every night this week. Um, so if you have time, if you give a hand, please come join us. Come help us. Come help us get everything accomplished that we need to do so that we can get moved in. Our target, just so you know, our target goal is Easter, April 1st, to have everything accomplished. So we'll move in and we'll have done what needs to be done just so we can get in there. And then we'll still have some ongoing projects. But we want to make a big blowout service for Easter, have everything finished. We're believing that God's going to continue to increase us and grow us. What a powerful opportunity to have a grand opening for the church on Easter Sunday. And so we're going to uh, do the best that we can to get all of that accomplished in Jesus' name. We love you.